and if you try to talk like Lorelai to a guy, you're probably going to be really embarrassed after the fact. I'm just going to throw that out there. I still can't get over the time that Dean said his job keeps him solvent. What? (laughs) You're you're a 16-year-old boy. (laughs) Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today's episode is, I think, a really fun one. It's the week before Christmas. I know that things can be really stressful right now for a lot of people, so I wanted to keep things merry and light, and so I grabbed one of my best friends, Melissa, and we talked about one of our favorite shows, Gilmore Girls. Melissa and I both grew up watching this show, and it meant a lot to us. It meant a lot to see a girl like Rory on screen, an introverted, bookish teenager, and it meant a lot to see a really confident woman like Lorelai. And, you know, it might seem fluffy to talk about a TV show, but I think that the narratives and the media that we consume do a lot to shape our ways of seeing the world and seeing ourselves, our expectations, our ideals. So Melissa and I are going to dive in and talk about what were some of the lessons about growing up that we took from the show and why do we rewatch it now and how does it hold up in 2018? Melissa is a great person for this episode, not only because she's a great friend and a Gilmore Girls expert, but also because she is a professor. Melissa earned her MFA in creative writing from Rutgers University, Newark, and her BA in literature from Ramapo College of New Jersey. She currently works as an adjunct instructor at Montclair State University and Rutgers University, Newark, where she primarily teaches composition courses. She's also taught creative writing and poetry courses at Ramapo College of New Jersey, taught pop culture at Fairleigh Dickinson University, and worked for the Dodge Poetry Festival as the college liaison. You can connect with her on Twitter at Mel underscore Adamo. Let her know what you think of this episode. Let her know what you think about Gilmore Girls. Let me know too. Feel free to follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast. Leave a comment or send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. I really had a lot of fun with this episode and I hope you enjoy it too. Melissa, welcome to the podcast. Hello, Victoria. My first fan, my biggest fan, (laughs) (laughs) my always fan. I was just going to say always and forever. (laughs) Finally on the podcast after 11 whole long (laughs) episodes. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) Thanks for being on. Finally. Yeah, I'm really sorry it took so long. So yeah, I wanted to have you on to talk about our favorite subject, which is of course Gilmore Girls. Um, because I think that there's a lot in this show about growing up and getting wise and trying to live a good life. Although, do they get wise? (laughs) And do they live a good life? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) It's uh, questionable at best. do they grow up? Also a question. (laughs) All good questions. (laughs) Okay, so uh, for for anyone who has not watched Gilmore Girls, um... You could just pause this now and go watch all seven (laughs) seasons on Netflix, or I could lend you any of my DVD boxed sets because I have all of them, or I'll just give you a quick, um, we're going to be talking about season one, so I will just give a very, very quick description of what starts off the series, which is that Lorelai Gilmore is a, a young mother. She's like, I, I think she's supposed to be 32 when it starts. She's a 16 year old daughter. 
um, because she got pregnant when she was 16. And when her daughter Rory was, which by the way, Rory is really hard for me to say. (laughs) It's like in 30 Rock, the rural juror thing. That one's always hard to say. Rory. I have a hard time saying my own name, Victoria. Sometimes like the end of it gets away from me. Sure. We all have our burdens. Yeah. So, okay. Rory and Lorelai live in a small Connecticut town called Stars Hollow, which Lorelai moved to when she was 17 and had a baby, had baby Rory, and she left her wealthy family's house because she felt like it was very suffocating and controlling with her parents, Richard and Emily. She moves to Stars Hollow and she begins, she works as a maid at the Independence Inn and eventually works her way up to running the inn. And when the uh, series starts, uh, Rory is starting her sophomore year of high school and she's gotten into the prestigious Chilton School in, um, is it supposed to be in, no, I don't know. They don't say the town. Never mind. But somewhere in Connecticut. Somewhere in Connecticut. Outside of Hartford. Yes, that's what it is. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, it's Lorelai and Rory's dream that Rory will go to Harvard one day, but Lorelai can't afford to send her to the school so she ends up going back to her parents whom they they see them very infrequently like maybe at like Christmas and Easter or something um she goes to them she asks if they will help if they will pay for Rory to go to go to school as a loan and she'll pay them back over time and the grandmother Emily says on one condition if you two will come have dinner at our house every Friday night so that we can be a part of your lives and that is basically what kicks off the series. Is that a good uh, little synopsis? Yes, good job. Thank you. So the show is known for be- for its like you know for all the fast talking and references and all of that, which some people find really annoying. Mm-hmm. But Melissa, what did your life look like when you started watching Gilmore Girls? What drew you to it, and why did you like it? I'm in eighth grade in this story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think at the time I was watching a lot of shows too with my mother and still do, even though we don't live together, we'll talk about Grey's Anatomy, which is probably on at the same time that that started. (laughs) Um, but I think it was like one of the first shows that felt grown up without being too grown up. Right. So I think at the same time Dawson's Creek was on, which was too much to mm-hmm. like watch with my mother. That was a lot of sex and discomfort. Mm-hmm. And Seven, Seventh Heaven was on the other side of that, which was like <laughs> I knew was too cheesy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I still watched it and like made fun of it mercilessly a lot, made fun of it a lot uh, with my friends. But it didn't. I don't know. There was no draw to it. So this seemed like a nice balance of like a well-written, like interesting show while still being a little bit more family friendly without being over the top, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. It's not too syrupy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The, the syrup factor, I think, was important, um, especially because they have a lot of lessons throughout the show, but they never felt overhanded. There was no full house like sweeping music when mm-hmm. that happened. <laughs> Um, and so I think that was one of the draws and it was, you know, it was nice to watch a show with my mom and, uh, enjoy that together. 
But then another one is just Rory was a nerd in a bookish, schoolish way. And I really liked school and getting good grades and reading. And that really spoke to me because I felt I didn't have any of that. Like I didn't have a representation Mm -hmm. of that on TV at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so interesting because I also started watching with my mom, but I... I didn't. So you started watching in real time, right? Like yes, when season, so. when or, or roughly, right? Like you were watching when it was when season one was on air. I think um, so because I think we watched. We just watched like a lot of TV. That's what we would do yeah. at the end of the night, and so that came on in two thousand um, one. Two no two thousand two thousand yeah. So yeah, I think we were like sure that one. You know, and it was quick and it was witty and I liked the humor of it and I liked the small town charm coming from like the suburbs where we didn't have that kind of thing. Uh, so, yeah, we were both kind of drawn into it right away. So I was nine when wow. it went on air. <laughs> so I actually didn't watch it until I was 15 and it was in its last season. Mm. And I was so I was on home instruction. It was my sophomore year of high school. I was on home instruction because of my anxiety and panic attacks. And so teachers came to my house after school hours um, to give me instruction. So like I would do homework and stuff actually in the morning and like early afternoon. But but I also had some free time during that time of day. And I think it was ABC Family was like showing the whole series from the beginning at like, like 10 at or like 11 10 or, I think it was 11 a.m. I watched it all the time on the reruns yeah, too. Yeah. So I think it was during that year that like and I was home with my mom like a lot of oh. the time. So I think we started watching it together. And especially during like a well the fact that I was 15 when it, in my sophomore year of high school when it, when I started watching and that is you know that's how old Rory is when the show starts um was interesting because you know, I, we were exactly the same age. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was younger. So I was kind of pining a little bit yeah. for that life that she had in that way. Yeah. But I do think like for me going, going through like that really bad anxiety kind of like, obviously I was more isolated. I kept in touch with my friends um, and I would see them, you know, sometimes on the weekends, but I was definitely more isolated and there's something about the show that's very comforting and um it's just one of those shows where you feel like oh my friends <laughs> you know um and it's like it's like a fan i mean stars hollow is this like kind of magical fantasy land um yes. in a lot of ways which is kind of interesting because in some sense you you get the feeling that lorelei and rory have kind of been living in this fantasy up until the show start the yeah until the show starts where like she's run away from her parents she ran away to the independence inn like mm-hmm. which took me a long time to put two and two together <laughs> which is really funny i <laughs> um she finds her independence but she finds this like magical little town where you know everyone's very supportive and she doesn't have to deal with like her parents or her that family life at all she's just like run away from it um and the show starts with her having to go back into it and real like realizing she has to make it work, make a relationship with them work because she wants to put Rory into this school. Um, and Rory going into the school kind of shatters 
that fantasy a little bit too because now she's back kind of in that world that Lorelai ran away from. And she's no longer like the smartest in the class. Yeah. Although that quickly leaves though too and she's back to being like pretty great at everything yeah, but yeah there's that transition but in the beginning, period yeah she goes from like being a big fish in a small pond to a small fish in a big pond it is a show that teenagers could watch with their moms because like you said um a lot of the shows were very sexual <laughs> so yes and i mean rory is obviously very pretty too so like uh, you know, she's still someone on TV, but even, I don't know, even all the other girls on TV who were nerdy, even like they were either, you know, giant glasses over the top, <laughs> yeah. like nerd and like a saved by the bell type of thing. Um, or they were still kind of sexualized, like in Dawson's yeah. Creek, Joey Potter is still wearing shirts that are like showing her midriff. And um, I think it's the first episode where Rory gets made fun of for wearing this like giant sweater. Which, you know what's so funny? I didn't plan this, but I'm wearing something that looks exactly like that right now. Um, it's a gi- I, it's the time of year where you're allowed to wear these yeah. like giant sweaters. It's my favorite thing. Yeah. And Lorelai makes fun of her and is like, nice moo-moo or whatever. Um, but it's so endearing because, yeah, like you don't, you really don't see that. And even like later in the episode, she likes a boy. And so she doesn't wear the giant sweater but she's still just wearing regular clothes like not that nice (laughs) and I think you know I was not someone who was very fashionable so like that too I'm just wearing regular basic clothes um yeah she's just wearing like jeans and a shirt (laughs) yeah just a long sleeve shirt nothing you know there was nothing too much about her like Lorelai's clothes were always a little bit much but um Lori was never dressed that way she was never sexualized in any way yeah and I think I really related to that too yeah, there's something really refreshing about her just being like a 15-year-old and and yeah, like her hair is just like down. <laughs> like there's nothing fancy about any of it. She seems like a regular person. Even though yeah, like you said, she's very pretty. She's beautiful, but it's all very like they they feel very real. What did your mom think of it? Did you would you guys talk about it? I don't really I mean, we've always we've always talked about shows but more in that like not in this like kind of deep analytical way but like I can't believe that happened so more of like a gossipy or like you know something we were annoyed at in the show and who we liked and what lines we liked but they were never really too in depth um I mean growing up and still I was always really close with my parents but I think then at that time like middle school is not great Mm -hmm. um and I just felt you know, I'm sure like everyone in middle school, like insecure and insecure about my looks and definitely about like sex and sexuality and wondering if a boy would ever look at me in this very tragic high school, mm-hmm. you know, horrible poetry kind of way. <laughs> um, and we didn't like talk about that stuff or share that stuff um, because I didn't ever want to bring it up ever. So Yeah, it's kind of funny that like in the show um... – when Rory Rory meets Dean, who's this like swoony, um, he's the new kid from Chicago. Which uh, also, this let me just say, this also like shifted a lot of perspectives for me too, as media often does. So I was then just hoping that a boy would notice me reading so yes. intensely that he yes. had to meet me. It wasn't because yeah. she was beautiful or anything, right? It was because she was reading so well. Um, so that was the dream 
<laughs> this is part of the fantasy of this show, which is that when this, you know, handsome young man walks up to Rory and is wants to get to know her, it's yes, because he noticed her reading a lot. And that she was so focused and intent on her reading that he just had to get to know her. And that is like the purest fantasy that any little, any young bookish girl could ever harbor in her heart. It's just that some, some handsome young man would be like, I just noticed how much you were reading and I just had to know you. But then also, of course, in like a, now I'm older. I'm like, well, that's creepy that he knows what she's reading and where she reads <laughs> yeah. and is following her. Yeah. Because again, too, I think media really shifted how I would view relationships yeah. uh, at that age of, oh, it doesn't need to be of interest or you don't have to talk to each other. It just needs to be something Intense. like this pining from afar in a rather creepy way. Yeah. So that's part, that's part of the fantasy. And yeah, and Rory is this like very quote-unquote perfect girl like very good student very smart very bookish very sweet very mature um and there's like there are a lot of times throughout the show where you see Lorelai acting more like the teenager and Rory acting more like the mom um but what's interesting is now that Rory's actually becoming more of a teenager Lorelai has to start stepping into the mom role and it's like uncomfortable for them oh so what I was saying before is that once when Rory meets Dean and they start hanging out a little bit um she doesn't tell Lorelai about him and Lorelai finds out um from other people and is upset that Rory isn't telling her about it and I think Luke says to Lorelai at one point like this is different because like, Lorelai's saying we tell each other everything and Luke is saying this is different and she's really hurt when Rory doesn't tell her about her first kiss with Dean and I was wondering like is that something you talk to your mom about no no right <laughs> <laughs> no I did not so maybe in those moments I felt kind of seen in that way too of like oh cool it's normal that like even though I really love my mom and I feel really close with her and could tell her a lot of things I'm not telling her those things right because like Lorelai and Rory are friends you right. know they're like buddies um but there's it's just there's something about it that is uncomfortable um and Rory avoids you know, having the conversation with her. I think some of it in the show is like, you know, Rory's 16 when she and Dean start dating and that's the age at which Lorelai got pregnant. So there's this kind of like fear that looms over mm-hmm. a little bit that history is going to repeat itself, even though Rory's very different from how Lorelai was. And I kind of like that aspect of it too. The fact that I think throughout the show, there's a lot of parallel storylines and that is something that makes it really fun to rewatch because you have Emily and the grandmother, mother, and then Lorelai, the mother, daughter, and Rory, the daughter, granddaughter. And like oftentimes I feel like their storylines are kind of running parallel, but it's but it's not always super obvious like the first time around that you're watching it. You know what I mean? Yeah. But it shows like all these family patterns and habits and how they're actually all a lot more similar than they think. Yeah, and that's always fun, I mean, to watch just how families interact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how there can be so much baggage between things and 
issues. And I mean, that's why most of the time, I mean, Lorelai is a pretty ridiculous character in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know how often I ever really related to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's usually because it's stemming from like all this baggage, right? That's not being even spoken about maybe even to their, in their conversations, mm-hmm. right? Like we're, we as the audience is, is supposed to kind of get those like parallel storylines and to understand even when she's kind of acting in a like maddening sort of way. <laughs> yeah. It's often like there's a lot that isn't spoken, particularly because they all have these very kind of avoidant conflict avoidant personalities well they'll get into each other's faces and like like emily and laura i think some of the best scenes are emily and lorelei fighting yeah Um, i mean they're both just such good actresses and i feel like that's when it really feels the most real is like when they're they're both like ultimately they want the same thing like deep deep down i think but they just totally like you said there's so much baggage they have very different styles, but they're both very stubborn and opinionated, and they both just think that they're right all the time. Right. And they're but all they so want hurt. is that all they want is that connection. Yeah. And with each other. And so it's really infuriating and I think really realistic to see two people arguing and you as an audience member understand what they are both after, and yet they're both wording it so annoying that they're not getting to their points clearly or they're making matters worse or they're just not being you know transparent about what they're upset about so instead they make up some other reason yeah like Lorelai projects onto Rory a lot and kind of uses her to not deal with things directly with people um and so she'll say like you know when when Emily throws a, a party for Rory uh, for her 16th birthday that's like really fancy and stuffy I feel like Lorelai's yelling at her about being controlling um, and trying to control Rory but she also is upset that Emily you know has tried to control her and I think is like kind of jealous also of the grandparents relationship with Rory yeah and that's what's again so fun to just see those layers because she's upset about Rory being hurt and like this is you know my kid and you know, you made her feel sad and she's too perfect to feel sad and all these things. And then it keeps unraveling. Like, of course, this is a parallel to you and your relationship with her and feeling controlled. And their, their arguments usually spin out in that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, it then you know, Emily will say it always comes back to I'm the worst mm-hmm. and something to that effect. Um, but then, of course, too, it's like the jealousy isn't really being specified until when mm-hmm. Emily says it. Mm-hmm. And maybe that when I was you know, in high school or middle school, I probably didn't realize that Emily was ever right. But like Emily is right a bunch. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say when I watch it now, like, okay, so I started watching when I was 15. I'm 27 now. As a 27 year old, 12 years later, like I sympathize with Emily more Yeah, than I did as a 15 year old because not, and I think part of the brilliance of the writing is that I think they do set you up to some to to empathize or sympathize with her sometimes, and then she'll say something that's just like, "Oh, that was so sh." Right. Um, oh wait, I don't think I'm supposed to curse. I don't think you are either. Okay, sorry. Hold on, let me try that again. <laughs> <laughs> it's my own show. Um, I've been say, doing so good. I know. Good job. It's because I'm talking to you. I'm just like very comfortable. 
she'll say she'll she'll say something and you'll really feel for her and then she'll just immediately undercut it with something that's just really like offensive offensive hurtful condescending something like that and usually besides the point like she always just crosses that line and again too it's just always ineffective so like as an audience member like if you're watching a horror movie and you're like don't go back in there it's always that reaction of like, why would you ever say that? Yeah. And these fights seem ridiculous until when you're a little older and you realize, well, of course, that's how people react emotionally to to issues or to family yeah. members or to a hard time. And that brings me to like the theme that <laughs> that I think is a standout theme for me from this season. I mean, really from the show, but you really see it in this season, which is just like that they're also avoidant. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're all really scared of vulnerability, which like is a, is a buzzword now, but I right. really think that so many of the storylines are about them trying to avoid being vulnerable to someone that they actually deeply care about mm-hmm. and being like so afraid of being in that position to get hurt. And it shows up a lot in this season with, I mean, there's, again, there's like the parallel stories with Lorelai um and Max and then Rory and Dean like Lorelai starts dating Rory's English teacher Max who again can we talk about a fantasy (laughs) person what do you you describe Max for the for the listeners (laughs) well so again too like rewatching is always so funny because Dean I mean if I'm young then Dean is like the dreamy boyfriend but then so is Max Uh, a teacher, a lover of literature who's quoting literature constantly (laughs) and can keep up. I mean, like most people in the show uh, keep up with their pace, their jokes, their banter, their references constantly. Uh, So he is doing that too. So yeah, I don't know. He is just that teacher. I don't know that all knowing uh, romantic lead. Yeah. Right, he's very swoony in that way that he's, he's going kind, to romance you. He's a kind teacher to Rory. He seems to really care about the students and his job. He's handsome. He's yeah, he's well read. He quotes that literature, but he somehow does it without sounding super cheesy, right? But like, no, I think now he does. Okay, looking back, <laughs> looking back, yes, it's cheesy. So that's why I feel like because I've been kind of rewatching it, it's just funny because. I would have seen him that way, right? Like, yes, you had the way you just described him as like he was a good teacher and kind and empathetic and really cares, but is also not bending rules and, you know, is clearly good at his job and smart. He's principled, except yes. for dating Lorelai. <laughs> sure, exactly. So then looking back at it, it's like, actually, no, this person <laughs> is so, like, could be looked at as problematic in a lot of ways of how he pursues Lorelai. And then even their relationship isn't, great at all and it's held up to romantic. be this beacon of romance yeah he's very romantic and at the end of the day well I don't want to go past season one because maybe we'll record an episode about season two we'll see how this one goes but yeah he's definitely a romantic and that lends itself to the early stages of a relationship okay but you know doesn't doesn't really hold up at the end of the day when it comes to like a, a true uh, relationship so but not even in the beginning like the beginning like they get like they like they he 
like I can't figure out any other way that we could do this and she's like I guess we should break up and he's like we should get married no you should yeah. not get no, married I mean that's crazy <laughs> what I mean is like it'll be okay for it's okay it's it's Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson like I don't know them and I have no idea what happened in their relationship but you know what I mean like you can make it for five months but then it's probably not gonna you know you're not probably gonna make it to a year even that's what I mean by <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I mean, my point was just too like when you watch it originally and again, too, in that landscape of like the TV that's on, right? Like what a great lead and like what a great guy and, and, you know, romantic partner to like look to, but not partner. I guess I wouldn't, I would not use that word, a romantic interest, right? To Mm -hmm. look to, but it's just... I feel like there was nothing actually in a relationship. They just weren't even in a relationship. No, they weren't. I mean, that was crazy. Them getting engaged was nuts. Um, or him proposing. Yeah, because she doesn't accept. Uh, but then she does the next she day. She does, she does. Like, but I I just, I'm, I'm just going with season one. <laughs> um, but he, so like, but So he takes back his proposal, but then he proposes at the end of the season. And because he does this grand romantic gesture in the proposal of a thousand yellow daisies. Which, by the way, it's definitely more than a thousand yellow daisies in that room. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess I, I don't think a thousand would look like that much, actually. Yeah, that's true. Because they're in little bundles. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, sorry, continue. Um, but yeah, so I just even like even within that season, right? It's we fought, I'm sorry. So instead of let's work on our relationship, let me give you a romantic gesture. Yeah, no, it's it's nuts. It's not that's it's not a good uh it's nuts. It's a it's a castle built on sand. <laughs> it's a, it's a sand castle if you will. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering where Perhaps you were going. Perhaps that would be a better way to say it. <laughs> no, I like it's a castle built on sand. <laughs> not built with, built on. Those are two different things. <laughs> Uh, yeah, he's a, he is very romantic and he doesn't, Mm -hmm. and I think you get the idea that his head is full of stories from the books that he teaches. I mean, he says, he says in the proposal, like the books, you know, I, I spend my life reading these books that are replete. I love that he uses the word replete. You don't hear the word replete on WB shows that often. Dean, Dean has a very high vocab as well. Yeah. Um, he says, you know, something about the these books are replete with characters who, what is it, who just like spend their lives regretting the things that they didn't do and whatever. But right, anyway, so that's why he proposes, and that's why he proposes like a big dumb <laughs> idiot. But um, in the beginning, when they start dating and things start to get like a little more serious, Lorelai gets freaked out and she decides she's gonna to break it off, and she keeps saying it's because Rory could get hurt. And like mm-hmm. obviously, <laughs> mm-hmm. she's 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 worried that she's going to get hurt. But at the same time, Rory and Dean, like when when they're um, so I think Suki says, "Oh, Lorelai, like you always you always start doing this at around two months." Um, when the little getaway someone. dance, the little, the cha cha, the getaway yeah. cha cha or whatever. Oh, and Suki is her best friend, obviously, played by Melissa McCarthy, who. It's just a gem. Mm-hmm. But when Dean and Rory have their three their three month anniversary, Dean tells her he loves her and she just freezes and doesn't say it back. And because of that, he breaks up with her because she can't she doesn't love him back. But she does love him. She just can't 
say it. So there's this like fear of being vulnerable. And Lorelai says to her, like, I, I hate to think that I raised a kid who can't say I love you. But it's kind of interesting because like Lorelai has this idea of herself as being extremely independent. And she says in the very first episode to her mom, like, I, I created this life out of nothing with or like I created this life with no help from anyone Mm -hmm. and I think it's this idea of herself as being totally independent and like this super strong individual that she passes on to Rory and then it's like when Rory is starting Chilton and she is really struggling in school like she doesn't tell her mom Lorelai finds out from Max that Rory got a D on her paper which is definitely like the worst grade by far she's ever gotten and she doesn't tell her and it's like Lorelai's been setting up this model of not asking for help ever you know and I like to like Emily's response to that uh, moment is and think where you would be if you had asked for a little bit of help mm-hmm. uh, which I think too like I don't know I'm sure that line didn't really resonate with me at the time, right? If you're in high school or middle school, you do kind of seek some type of independence, although of course I had none, but like, <laughs> um, and so thinking about that too, of how hard it is for people to ask for help at all ages, I think that line is so smart of Emily to say, and of course her help might've looked different and they, it might not have worked out very well for the two of them. But that's just so true. When people can recognize that they could ask for help, that's usually when they are the strongest and kind of the most independent, right? Because they've learned to do those things. Yeah. And also it's a fantasy and a lie that she created this whole life with no help from anyone. She. That's true. You know, because, okay, first of all, she was privileged to grow up in the family and with the wealth that she grew up with. And so you know, she, that is part of her. She carries that with her, even though she ran away to an inn she was, you know, the in the the person who the owner of the inn took her in and said, "Yeah, you can be a maid and you can live in the little shed in the back." Mm-hmm. So she was given a place to live by someone, you know, who was sympathetic to her. And the whole town of Stars Hollow is like the village that has helped her raise her daughter. Right. So she has this idea of herself of being totally independent, but the truth is that, you know, we all need each other. And she just didn't want right. her family's money, I guess. But then she ends up asking for it anyway. Right. <laughs> to put Which is, of course, into also kind of the difference of like class issues, too, of, well, someone who is actually, you know, in poverty doesn't have someone to fall back on. Right. Someone who has, like, many people have to do it on their own. Um, and I guess that that probably makes sense for her of someone coming from a high class wanting to live a different life and kind of glamorizing like someone else's hardships mm. for her own gain a little bit for her own like self like self-worth or image. Mm-hmm. But she always like in the back of your head, you always know that you could if something really terrible happened, you would be bailed out. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, like if you want your kid to go to this prep school and then go to Harvard, like, you know, Mm -hmm. who's going to pay for Harvard, you know, (laughs) but she gets a lot of help (laughs) from other people. But I just think in general, like it's a, it's a damaging myth. I think that we have, um, in our culture that, that you should just totally like be totally independent and 
totally do everything completely on your own. And that's a point of pride if you do it all on your own because it's just not even true. And creating that pressure in your own head, like, I think it sets her and Rory up for these falls that, you know, like, I identified with Rory a lot in terms of, like, being a good student and, you know, so I definitely reacted you know, Rory, Rory takes it really hard when she gets a bad grade. And I definitely felt that yeah. way too. Like my worth was completely bound up with grades. Were you like that too? Mm. I realized when I was thinking about this, like, I don't really know what your, what you were like as a student, uh, like in throughout your school years through elementary, through high school. I think in elementary school, I was regular. <laughs> like <laughs> I like school sometimes I did, you know, I enjoyed reading and writing, but I would have phases of it where I wouldn't care as much. Um, but I remember in elementary school, like some of the kids went to like the gifted and talented program and I was never part of those things. I never had good test scores. So I think I was always like this borderline of sometimes I felt like Rory. Cause then eventually I would get in, um, in middle school and high school, I was always in the honors classes for like the literature and the history and then the regular classes for everything else. So in some of those other classes, I was seen as like the smart one and like that kind of big fish kind of thing. And then in other classes, I, I don't know, I blended in with the crowd. A lot of my other friends were much smarter, but grades started to matter. I think once I guess once I got really good grades in middle school for the first time, then I was like, oh, this feels great. <laughs> yeah. Like I could have this thing. So I might feel insecure about some other stuff um, in middle school, which like everyone does in middle school, like feeling uncomfortable in your body and all of these great, wonderful changes that you're going through. But I think it was, yeah, I think it was middle school that I started getting good grades and then enjoying that. And probably trying for it a little bit harder. Yeah, I think, um, like you alluded to, part of the fantasy of Rory is that she comes from this small pond and she ends up just, like, you know, really succeeding at... I mean, she has a little bit of a rocky start at Chilton, but she um, she works hard and she ends up excelling, like, in every way. And it's like, I remember just thinking... Like anytime I I did get, even if I just got like a B or a B plus or something, you know, just like, oh, I'm not perfect. Like it was, mm. I felt so much pressure to, to feel worthy and valuable by just getting A's and everything and, and being a good student. And I, looking back, it's like, it just so didn't serve me <laughs> as a person to. <laughs> and where did that? stem from is that from like other people putting pressure on or because I think I created it myself because I saw I did it once and I was like oh well that wasn't that hard this one time so let's do that forever okay <laughs> yeah I think so I, I naturally made it like like you like I love to read and I loved books um so I think if you love to read like you probably are, are gonna do pretty well at least in like spelling and you know you're like even from the time you're a little kid you'll you'll get praised for being like a good reader um if if that comes easily to you early on um and I genuinely loved reading very much um and but I also you know I was like a very uh sweet little kid I was very polite I think a lot of it was just bound up in being like good and just getting praised, mm. you know, by teachers and 
and adults for being like, oh, you're so good, you know, like you're so quiet, you're no trouble, you know, <laughs> like um, that was just and, and then just getting grades was just like there, it's on paper, like, see, I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think uh, Lorelai's um, birthday toast to Rory on her 16th birthday is like. I feel like just sets her up to fall down off the highest pedestal. So I wrote it down. Oh, um, no. What does she say? She, <laughs> oh, she says, I would like to propose a toast to the one thing in my life that is always good, always sweet, and without whom I would have no reason to get up in the morning. My pal Rory. Cheers. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear that. And sure. I'm just like looking back at the time, I was probably like, oh, yeah, it's the fantasy. Like, She's just the perfect daughter. You know what I mean? Like, she's just, mm. she's always good. She's always sweet. Like, that was what I aspired to. And I think it's no surprise that later on in the series, Rory makes some really bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Because that is quite a pedestal to fall off of. Like, um, to say someone is always good, always sweet, and is your reason for getting up in the morning. Like, I understand she might be being a little bit tongue-in-cheek with that, but... I, that's a really strong message. Well, I mean, the, I think the reason to get up in the morning is just like a parental love, right? Well, I do have to feed this kid. <laughs> it's also part of it. Um, and provide for her. And that I didn't, I guess I didn't see that line as being as much when it's coming from a parent versus like a friend. Um, mm. But for sure, the always, the emphasis of always good and always sweet i i mean that's just interesting i hadn't like taken the speech or i guess yeah i haven't viewed the speech in that way or the toast in that way yeah and i'm probably taking it like a little seriously but i guess to me it's emblematic of some of the ways in which she treats her you know through like she she's she's often like rory wouldn't do that rory would never do that rory's i would do that not rory rory's perfect rory's you know like Mm -hmm. and um I just think that kind of idea sets her up um, to just to fall. (laughs) And a lot of people treat her like that. Like a lot of people are like, Rory is just perfect. And yeah. And it's like, I think in a lot of ways having, because Lorelai was a teenager herself, when she had Rory, she's kind of suspended in that adolescent stage in some ways in terms of her emotional maturity um right and I'm sure she has some of that like that she you just kind of naturally put some of that self that on you when your mom didn't have that right that people can go one of two ways usually you follow that path or you try your hardest to like overcorrect and not follow right a certain path um because I I don't know I think growing up I didn't have that like pressure to be good but I was like so I think in my head it just like that's the path that I took because I saw that my sister didn't take that path, Mm. which she was a good kid too. She just, you know, was a teenager. Um, And I saw how, how she struggled and my parents struggled with like regular teen issues. And so I then maybe overcorrected too of like, well Mm. then sure, I'm not gonna, I'm not going to do that. That doesn't look fun. And so I just did it in a way. Mm. Um, but I don't know, I guess it's weird because I don't think I had a pressure to. I just think I probably unconsciously like moved in that direction. Yeah. 
So when I was viewing Rory, I didn't see like in at that stage, I didn't see her as like perfect and good in that way because that wasn't, I guess, where I felt like I was falling short. I probably, you know, had hyper attention on a lot of other issues in the show that I was insecure about, but that wasn't like one of them at that point. What wasn't one of them? Now looking back, the um that idea of like she's always good and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um being like a pressure whereas now like looking back sure that is a lot of pressure to put on a human no matter the age to say you can never kind of mess up I don't think it has to be necessarily an explicit pressure like my parents didn't say to me like you must be good and sweet and perfect but if you get if you get positive feedback from being a certain way it's just an implicit message that Mm -hmm. oh I'll just keep being that way you know well, yeah, and I mean, I think too, each like personality like picks the thing, right? Of like, what is the pressure, um, in your head, which you don't know this happening, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe mine was more around like grades, and I wanted like I wanted to put my energy in that because it was also something I had to try at, and like kind of work hard at too. Like good grades didn't just like come naturally, so I think I don't know that is what I probably put a little bit more energy into. And so it's just weird. It's just interesting to kind of see how, what kind of resonates Mm -hmm. with someone in those ways. Well, because I feel like you kind of have more of a Lorelai personality. Not not exactly, but like in terms of being... she's horrible. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's not horrible. Um... No, but I just mean like pretty bad people. If 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 Rory's a little bit more of like the sweet, like you know, uh, conciliatory, I don't know, kind of temperament. Yeah, you're a little bit more like Lorelai esque in terms of being like I don't know. You're 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 very. You'll be like sarcastic with people, humorous with people. You like know what you want, and you'll say like I want this, you know. Um, yeah. And I think maybe that's what I was kind of speaking to in that sense of like, I mean, I guess to say it badly is that, well, I'm less of a good person. So I put less <laughs> pressure on myself to be good. Um, <laughs> no, that's not true though. Which, which I know is like not true, but it's also not like my default. Like if someone describes me, the first thing they say is not like kind and sweet like all of those kinds of adjectives that is described as Rory so it might be smart or funny or like quick or any of those things right um and so maybe that a little too like that's what I'm speaking to is although sure I was I was actually called like the good child and like the good kid but it wasn't but then I don't know then growing up like that was why it was just because I like did my work (laughs) you know I did work and um, got my own stuff done. It wasn't because I was the volunteer, like, pilgrim at the, <laughs> at the Thanksgiving thing, you know, like, yeah. doing all of that stuff. Yeah, your natural temperament is going to play a role mm-hmm. in, like, what you get praised for and then how you express yourself and all of that. And I, I think, too, like, growing up, I I recognized or identified more with Rory, who liked lists and work and school and books and special stationery and pens, and I really responded to all that that felt like me but I also very much at that time wanted to be Lorelai mm. because at that time I you know I wanted a boy to like me and 
she sure does talk fast with the jokes and the men and the looking at her. And she was so pretty. And like everywhere she went, some guy was falling at her feet for no reason. Um, And so in my head, that was kind of this pressure that I wished I could be that way. And I wish I could be that confident in that particular realm at that time. Yeah. And actually, Rory even says basically what you just said. Like she, yeah. she says that to her. She's like on before her first date with Dean, which, of course, the date is going to be her and Lorelai and Dean because Lorelai invites sure. him over to watch a movie um, in a wildly inappropriate gesture of friendship <laughs> towards her daughter. Um, and Rory's just like really nervous about it and is like, how do you do it? Like you just, I don't remember how yeah, she I said forget. it. She worded it pretty, she worded it like perfectly. Yeah. And I think. And I she's mean, like, she and you just leave them with their jaws on the floor or whatever. And right. it's like, that also is part of the fantasy of, I think when I was 15, I was like, yes, someday I will be a woman who right. walks into a room. And yeah. she says, you know, like a witty comment and the barista <laughs> just gives her and a free coffee. harassing people. Like she's constantly like harassing yeah. and annoying people. And, but yeah, so if I am, you know, in eighth grade and I identify with Rory, but Rory's feeling even nervous with her like beautiful boyfriend and like all these things, then I don't want to be that. But yeah, then my fantasy is to be Lorelai, you know, it's, that's what you're attracted to of like the thing I I don't have. And that's what I felt I didn't have at that time period, um, was what Lorelai could do was like, you know, talk to everyone really confidently and be herself all the time. And uh speak with men in this way and feel like confident and just date right even though she didn't date well like (laughs) I was like what's a date like so (laughs) all of that just seemed so alluring yeah there's something about um and it's I've you know I watch the marvelous Mrs. Maisel now um Amy Sherman Palladino's new show and it's a very it's again it's this female lead who's just like she's got to be beautiful smart quick Mm -hmm. funny and you know very good with men you know even though everyone says she's amazing yeah and and she's always the best at everything because Lorelai even though she's supposed to be even though she's quirky and wacky and she's supposed to be this kind of like somewhat adolescent you know right mess she also is very responsible but also so is mrs Maisel too is like right. very childish and again like super privileged so when you're coming right. from like this very super privileged world as well it's really coloring things um the new yorker came out with an article actually too about the cloying uh fantasy of the marvelous mrs Maisel. Mm. talking about that saying like everyone loves this show and it's really fun and sometimes it's nice to just watch a fun show but I have these kind of critiques of it and it was that it was that she's of course gorgeous and everyone loves her and like doesn't have to fight for this really at all right um whereas you know Joan Rivers who's coming up at the same time did and she kind of makes a lot of really interesting comparisons there yeah and I feel like um I I feel like Amy Sherman Palladino has like a type of woman like Mm-hmm. Like Lorelai and Rory and um, Rachel Brosnahan, is that her name? Mm-hmm. Who plays Mrs. Maisel? Yeah. Like they have a very similar look and right. they're all, you know, beautiful. And uh, there's one thing that does really bother me. It doesn't really show up as much in season one of Gilmore Girls, but there's a trope that's in the Gilmore Girls series that I've noticed in Mrs. Maisel, which is like stupid girls versus the amazing heroine. Yeah. 
And that is something that really bothers me looking back. Like on the first date with Dean, Lorelai and Rory and Dean are like eating pizza and junk food and Rory goes for like, you know, her next slice of pizza and Dean's like, whoa, you can eat. And she's like, yeah, oh, that's bad, isn't it? And he's like, no, most girls don't eat. It's good that you eat. I hate that trope. I know other people have talked about this. It's a terrible, terrible trope. And I mean, they do that with like every part of things too, of like any, anytime she is being praised, it is usually like because you're different from all the other girls, which of course implies women are trash. (laughs) Like the girls Um, at Stars Hollow who are like painting their nails during their English, the English class in the first episode. Yeah. It's just, it's, yeah, it is constant between those two shows um i'm reading and i just like used language from the book that i was just reading before we started this call too called everything is trash (laughs) but it's okay and she was talking by uh phoebe robinson and she's talking about that trope too and like how that's such a red flag if you're ever on a date and someone says you're not like all the other girls please run yeah run and i mean i don't have any knowledge of that certainly at that time right because I'm young and just I'm really buying into everything that media is telling me about relationships and myself and my worth. Um, but still to this day, right, that's a trope that keeps coming up. That's really hard <laughs> to take. Yeah. And it's like, again, with hi- having hindsight watching the first season now, hindsight meaning like with the show, knowing what's going to happen in the next six seasons, but also hindsight in, with my own life. When Dean says that, it's like, oh, so Rory once again is being put up on this pedestal and is destined right. to fall off of it because Dean sees her as perfect, too. And, like, that's not sustainable, <laughs> you know? Not really, no. <laughs> um, because she is a human. Girls are humans. Um, Which is weird. I know. It's so weird, but it's true. And, like, yeah, I, I think it's the it's the hardest when you are – a young woman when you're a teenager when you're in when you're like you know early early 20s and you're just doing all these things for the first time and a lot of your models are coming from tv and things like that you really like take that stuff to heart or at least I did I mean I did too I feel like so many people do because we just can't tell the difference if that's the only kind of thing that we're seeing of like that's like oh well that's how relationships are so if, if especially if you're not seeing other relationships or not part of other relationships then it's like well that kind of is truth and I think that's what's that's what's complicated about a character like her Mrs. Maisel is that because she's the heroine we might be confusing some of like the writer's intent too to kind of show like no this person isn't meant to be perfect right right and it is a very flawed person but we then kind of wind up glamorizing a lot of the things about them too, or it gets to a point where it becomes, even in the writing, it becomes too perfect in a way that doesn't make any sense when really we should be, yeah, like kind of learning these lessons from these flawed characters, which is great that we get to see these women be realistic and flawed in interesting ways too. Yeah. And I think it is baked into the show, like the awareness that Lorelai is kind of stuck emotionally and Mm -hmm. that Rory's kind of up on this pedestal and that these are not perfect people emotionally I think to be honest the biggest thing for me um where is when it comes to like them being perfect 
externally and everyone kind of fawning all over them um it's that piece where as a young woman like who already feel like young women and women in general we already feel like we should be everything and Mm -hmm. the fact that they get um rewarded and praised so much for basically being everything is like right that's where if you're a young woman who is you is like looking for models for your real life like Mm -hmm. that's where the danger lies I think is in the fact that everyone looks at them and is just like you are perfection like yeah I mean our brains can't like discern tv from reality in a lot of ways and so then it's harder especially when you're younger or easily influenced than you're going to take, sometimes you're going to take the wrong messages from yeah. things. If it aired today, I don't know if I would feel the same about it mm-hmm. because we have more representation of different types of women and better representations of uh, different types of women. Um, so I think a lot of it is nostalgia and that idea of, well, the first person that I saw in things that liked books and lists in school and wasn't like sexualized was Rory. And, and I think too, that concept of it was a show that I could watch with my mom and enjoy it and like talk about it as adults without having to like talk about uncomfortable things like those Dawson River kids hopping in each other's beds (laughs) or feeling like an infant by watching Seventh Heaven and like that kind of full house Mm handholding of the messaging. And I guess I think, is it in the first season two when the girls go to that concert? Yes. And like that was like they throw in some messaging in there that was like nice to see or even nice to see like looking back on it that she said, you know, stupid. You don't go to a party with boys you don't know. You don't drink drinks that mm-hmm. you don't like all of this like stuff. Um, you don't just like follow this crowd. Like, sure, that's I'm sure was a whole episode in uh full house right (laughs) yeah but it doesn't feel like a lesson right it's just part of the story and it's just fact when Lorelai does go into like the mom mode and give Mm -hmm. advice like oftentimes it is it feels very good because she's not coming at it from a place of coming down on someone like I feel like a really good example is when um Lane has her really humiliating experience (laughs) where she has a crush. Rory's best friend Lane has a crush on her band partner and she like she at one point just reaches out and touches his hair and then like as one does as one does and then like horrified she realizes what she's done and she just runs away and runs to the Gilmore house and Rory's not there but Lorelai talks to her and Lorelai just says to her like everyone messes up in high school and Lane's like not like this and she's like yeah some people get pregnant (laughs) and Lane's like oh yeah and she's like Lorelai just basically says to her you know we all screw up we all make mistakes it's just part of growing up but the the important thing is what you do you know after you've made the mistake how you handle it and you know we're this is just like uh, a little warm up of all the grown up mistakes you're going to make. But mm-hmm. she uses humor, but she also is like giving this right. message to her of. Yeah, right. Which I did like. I think that's in season one, too, right? Where she says that she feels kind of pushed aside because she has a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. Like Lane feels a yes. little abandoned because she has this new school and Rory has this new boyfriend. And so she feels 
um, pushed aside. Yes, I really felt lame in that because I feel like, you know, my older sister started dating her now husband when she was 14 and I was 12. And my best friend started in, in high school, started dating her boy, her boyfriend, now fiance, when <laughs> we were 15. Maybe wow. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was like, I felt that loss with both of them. Like, even though I, you know, I was still, I still had, she was still my sister. She was still my friend. Like we were, I just knew it wasn't going to be exactly the same anymore. And I was right. It changes the dynamic. Yeah, it does. And it, and it's just like, you can't be each other's main, you're not each other's main Uh go-to person for everything anymore. There's this other person in the equation now. They did do that part well, because I'm sure that I felt that way as Lane did too, in a lot of ways of just feeling like kind of ignored from other people when they started dating and I wasn't dating and all those things. And Lane is like in her her band uniform which is just like the least flattering thing for anyone to wear like just in terms you just look like you just can't look cool in that um standing there next to her crush and like at one point in that episode she's sitting on a bench and Rory with Rory and Dean and they're like kissing and she's just sitting on the bench like okay I'm gonna go (laughs) oh yeah that part's so brutal yeah (laughs) I really feel for her and I think even too, and I, I felt that way, you know, just being single later in life too, when yeah. they're getting cookies and then they're all just like kind of making fun of Rory for having a boyfriend, like in a fun kind of cutesy way of saying mm. like Rory and the cookies and the Dean and <laughs> yeah. being over the top and they're doing it around Lane and Lane is just so like uncomfortable and annoyed. And I've definitely like been in those situations too. It's always hard to feel like you're on the outside of something that you were once on the inside of. I think that's something that is really hard with relationships, like with friendships is by like just buying in wholeheartedly, like, okay, we are so close. Like we are best friends. And knowing that any day that per- your best friend can meet you know, someone that is going to become their main person and you're not going to be in that spot anymore. It doesn't necessarily have to be like that, but I think just just logistically, you know, it, it can be hard for people, especially in the beginning of relationships to like to balance all of it, all of the relationships. Like, you know, you're going to be taking a a backseat at least for a little while, probably, you know? Well, I think too, growing up then, I always had that fear of like me doing it one day. Mm. And so I remember like kind of when I had like my first serious boyfriend too, I put him in like weird situations because I was like, I cannot be that girl that just, you know, brushes off her friends for a guy but then other times, like, and sure, right, I shouldn't be. But I wasn't good at balancing it then. And sometimes I wasn't good to him in those moments. Because mm-hmm. I had such a fear of that. And because I knew how it felt when other people had done it to me in the past that I didn't want to do it. And I was so afraid. And so instead of learning about balance and communication, I overcorrected in a couple of moments. Um, because, yeah, it's I again, I just think like that media kind of, really shaped my view of that and then when it was reinforced in that like real world too I was like well then I guess that's just the truth right (laughs) that'll always happen yeah because uh, things are just always so 
polarized, right? It's this or that. Yeah. It's you're going to be the rebellious right. teen who gets pregnant at 16 or the perfect student who, right. you know, like gets an A on everything and is kind and sweet to everyone. Or yeah, you, you have your best friend and or your boyfriend. And <laughs> like mm-hmm. the truth is that life really exists in the middle. Like it's not about, mm-hmm. because like we were saying, it's, it's nice to have a representation of a girl who is, you know, um, not necessarily, not necessarily like the OC party girl, you know, mm-hmm. um, just because we don't, we don't see like quiet, introverted people on TV all that often. Yeah. Um, but I, but I do think that I, I kind of went off on a tangent. Um, what you were saying is more like that whole it's one or the other it's right it's all in on the boyfriend or all in on the friends and but that's part of growing up I think is like yeah you 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 swing too far in one direction for fear of Mm -hmm. swinging too far in the other and then eventually as the years go by you're like oh I probably could have you know I could I can find a better happy medium with this yeah and as as the experience goes by too because you know that might change that might not be like a high school thing, you know, that could be at different ages mm-hmm. um, that we're, I feel like we're always just learning, right? Yeah. It's in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And like, and accepting that it's not always going to be perfectly balanced and like, that's okay too. Right. Like, and not thinking that things are going to be a certain way forever. Like, I think that's right. something that I've been getting better at like when I was 15 first watching Gilmore Girls you know and first experiencing like you know my sister or my friend um getting a boyfriend it's like in my eyes okay I've lost them forever you know it's never gonna be the same and now I'm better at realizing like there are just seasons with things you know like maybe things won't be exactly the same anymore but maybe there will be a season where we're in each other's lives in a really big way again you know yeah yeah, the family stuff is always, yeah, it's always interesting, too. Because I think I remember when my sister, not having a first boyfriend, but when she was, like, starting to kind of move out, that was really hard for me um, because I didn't want anything to change because I'm not great at change. So everything just seemed, like, really scary. Like, what do you mean you won't be here on Christmas morning for mm-hmm. presents? Um, and what do you mean, like, this won't happen? And I'm sure I was really hard on her in a lot of ways, and not like yelling, but kind of um, having a tone with her in that way a lot. <laughs> uh, and it, yeah, it was hard to kind of deal with that kind of loss of, oh, she's not here, right? She's not next door in the next bedroom anymore. And so now our relationship is going to change. But then, you know, it became a lot better in a, other ways. We made new traditions to make sure that we can kind of still see each other and hang out. And like you said, it would come in seasons in a lot of ways as well. Yeah, it's like I think you and I uh, are both kind of more anxious people. Would you agree with that mm-hmm. for yourself? Yeah. I don't want to speak for you, but <laughs> fine. <laughs> you know, we want certainty. So mm-hmm. um, change is just, of course, we're going to go to like worst case scenario thinking and and just like kind of have that knee jerk reaction of I don't like this. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think it felt like um, just a discomfort and a confusion because I don't even think it was this like worst case scenario. It was just like, well, what do you like? It's just I kept feeling like, well, what do you mean? This is how it's always been. Why would you 
or not do it exactly this way <laughs> for all of your life, for all of eternity. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. And I think that kind of does come up in the show, too, because uh, when Lorelai starts dating Max, like she she says to him that she keeps her dating life separate from her mm-hmm. life with Rory and she doesn't bring guys to the house and you know, like Rory never really knows what's going on with her dating life. And then when things are getting a little more serious with Max, it's like this adjustment of like, what does this mean? Like we've never had a man right. in the house before. And yeah, um, this is going to change our dynamic. And I think that is mm-hmm. a genuine, you know, as much as Lorelai is afraid of just herself getting hurt and using Rory a little bit to, mm-hmm. you know, um, using her a little bit as an excuse to try to avoid that vulnerability there also is a genuine worry about like what it will do to their dynamic their one-on-one dynamic which i think also is the fear that comes up when rory starts getting involved with dean it's like they are the two you know two best friends that anyone could have um Mm -hmm. just in their little bubble together and then what happens when you bring in a Dean and a Max. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the same thing is applied when they go, when she goes to school, like later on, that's a question of, well, how will like college change yeah. these things? How might even like Chilton change these things? Cause it doesn't always need to be like, you know, relationship driven, but anytime this kind of major shift happens or just something new, we all get a little nervous about that. And some of us more than others, if we're not a fan of change. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I am getting better at being like, like, you know, I think my, my aunt was saying in the first episode of the podcast that like, yeah, we don't know what's going to happen. It could be something good. You know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. I've realized that being anxious, like your orientation towards the future from an anxious mindset is usually like dread or just like mm-hmm. assuming something bad will happen or it won't be good. And it's not often like a hopeful like well let's see like could be good (laughs) Um, because that's just a scary like vulnerable place to inhabit and that is hard as these Gilmore girls have shown us (laughs) being vulnerable is hard yeah and they're really bad at it Um, they're really really bad at it (laughs) (laughs) but they learn it's actually pretty sad because then Lorelai finally is like you know what Max like I realized I was afraid of getting hurt because I really like you. And I was really afraid that I would be crushed if we broke up. So I'm sorry Mm -hmm. that I freaked out. And then he's like, I don't think we should date because I'm a teacher at her school. And the principal, you know, the headmaster told me I'm I'm on probation or something like I might be on probation. She's like, oh, okay. And then the next scene, she's lying in bed crying. And like, you've never really seen Lorelai like that. Right. curled up in bed crying and it's really jarring actually mm-hmm. like Rory walks in the room and she's just like oh and you know you see like yeah sometimes it's always a risk like you don't know um if there's going to be the outcome that you wish for you know yeah in rewatches it's been interesting to see that and to see how you know, characters that you grow up and love and even too, right? Like I thought a lot of them were perfect and then rewatching it too. It's like, well, they're vulnerable, right? Because this writer has these tropes that we've kind of mentioned too. So obviously they're going to fall into some of the same patterns over and over again as well. So like, it's obviously very white and when it's not, it's oh, still very yeah. stereotyped. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 
And the joke, like, there's just not, I feel like there's almost not an episode that goes by that there's not a joke about sexuality where homosexuality is the butt of a joke. Mm. And that's always really hard to rewatch because it seems like all the time and from all the characters, Mm. like the grandparents and Lorelai and Rory and Luke, like, it's just, it's constant. Mm. Um, I think I remember hearing Amy Sherman Palladino say that Luke, the character of Luke, was originally supposed to be a woman. And I think the right. studio... Right, and they said there was too many women. <laughs> yeah, they're like, you need, like, <laughs> a little testosterone You need one show. scruffy guy that yeah. needs to wear a lot of flannel to be mm-hmm. like, I am a guy. I find it so funny that some of the most progressive lines come out of Luke's mouth in this season. Yeah. I find that yeah, great. I love, I love watching all... Like, he has some great... Some great lines. And like, it's, again, he's kind of seen as the weirdo. Mm-hmm. A lot of the people who, like, speak a lot of truths are kind of seen as the weirdos. He's kind of this fascinating, like, dream of a person where he's this, you know, very kind of, like, blue-collar, hardworking guy, owns the diner. But, like, at Thanksgiving, he's like, do you all realize that we're just celebrating a day when we stole land, <laughs> you know? And, um, like, <laughs> There are a couple lines where he's like just like pointing out some harsh truths of reality while everyone else is skipping around. Um, yeah, which he does is it just... about the golf courses too and like the environmental impact. Yes, yes, yes. That was the other one. Um, that was great. And when he's talking about like the um, in the first snowfall episode, uh, a bunch of the guys in town are reenacting the quote unquote battle of stars hollow, which is when mm-hmm. a bunch of men stood out in the snow and waited for the red coats to come. And they never came. And Luke says something about like, about how people just romanticize and glorify the past. And in reality, right. he says like, everything sucked back then too. It just sucked without penicillin. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, he's just, he spits some, uh, he spits some truths. Yeah, he's great. I mean, again, minus all the homosexuality jokes that mm. they all tell. Yeah. He usually says a lot of great things. And eventually his storyline has aspects of like vulnerability that he struggles mm-hmm. with how to confront like feelings and emotions. And that's really that was really nice to see too, coming yeah. from a man then yeah. of like that person struggling and how to deal with it. I loved that storyline. That's kind of later on in the series, but I loved his gro- his personal development storyline. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the representation is uh, in terms of like racial diversity. It's basically like a black mailman, a black guidance counselor. Then Kirk takes over all those jobs. So they literally <laughs> get one white man to do all, all the jobs. All of this, having all of this in mind. Um, all of these things that we find a little bit problematic or that maybe the messaging we feel like leaves a little bit to be desired. Um, what do you think is worthwhile about about still watching the show or how do you kind of reconcile some of that stuff with still enjoying it now? Well, I think it's interesting to read criticisms about the show or have your own criticisms with like this kind of hindsight or just living in a kind of different culture now but I mean you could still enjoy it right and there's been a lot of writers who have talked about this and I like talking about problematic faves and what that means and like you could still love something and hold it accountable um and it might not mean like and it can mean that you could still come back to it but you could still look at it critically 
Uh, and that's how we should be in our relationships too, right? We shouldn't just have this blind loyalty, but we can still hold people accountable and the things that we like accountable too. I mean, and that too, I mean, that's how we learn and grow. And that's, I think, why we have better TV in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? That we can have different stories and more complex stories. And that's, again, the same reasons why this show spoke to me is that I felt really represented. It's the same reason why it's problematic because it wasn't that great in comparison now of a representation. Mm-hmm. And like, that's okay. We're going to, we should keep evolving and we should keep kind of checking you know, how we're presenting these people. Because then too, right, if without that representation, I then put so much stock into these characters growing up because I didn't see anyone else. So like the more stories we get and then we have more room to have them be really kind of like horrible characters and ridiculous characters. And we get so many more stories when more people are telling them too. I mean, we all want to be represented in that way. It doesn't mean that we're all going to be, I mean, I guess we all want to be represented perfectly, but <laughs> but we aren't, right? And so it's nice to to have those kind of conversations too. And sometimes that's the most fun in, in uh, talking about shows too, right? And that's what I always talked about with my mom, like those moments we hated and loved and it feels like kind of that real world connection and conversations that we get to have too. Yeah. And there is no perfect, like there's never going to be a perfect representation because there, there isn't a perfect person. So, right. well, thank you. Thank you for all of your thoughtfulness and perspective and for spending this time chatting with me. Thank you. We should have been drinking coffee. I know. I thought about that. Well, I wouldn't have had real coffee, but I thought about. I know, to get and in. I can't. It's nine thirty. I know it's so late. We can't have coffee right now. Maybe next time we can do it in the morning, and I can have tea or that fake tea coffee. And we could have just lied about what we drank. <laughs> I think next time we should have coffee or fake tea coffee and pop tarts or pastry. Like, or can pa- it be pastry? Danish. Yeah. Danish. That's what it is. Danish. What is a cup of coffee without a Danish? Yeah. <laughs> or what is, she says, what is a Danish without a cup of coffee? And yeah. that line always infuriated me because I was like, delicious. It's still delicious. <laughs> it's still great. <laughs> All right. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. I love you. I'm trying to think of like a send off line. Oi, with the poodles already. <laughs> That's such a good one. Or copper boom. <laughs> copper boom. If you liked the episode, I hope that you'll share it and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave a review. It helps people to find the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you'll join me next time.